You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. Well, recently I've become acquainted with uh, an organization called the Edelman Trust Barometer. And it's a group of people that study culture, and they've studied the United States over the last handful of years. And uh, just this year, in 2019, they've revealed uh, that there's been a big shift in who and how we trust and what we put our trust in. And so for Americans, for a long time, our trust was in big business and big organizations and important world leaders and in the events of the last handful of years, what, we've, what they've discovered is that things have really shifted a lot, and trust has come closer to home, if you will, in the sense that we are, as a group of people, putting our trust in the relationships that we feel like we can control. So no longer are we looking to, to the outside for who we trust, but we want to be able to have familiarity and control and trust along those lines in our life. And we need trust to be forming in order for relationships to be healthy. It doesn't have to be formed, but it does need to be forming. And every one of us in this room has broken people's trust from time to time. We've experienced people breaking our trust as well. And the goal for today and what we see in the scriptures is that we are to know and be known by God. And if that's going to take place, trust has to be the foundation of that. And that is needed. we got to move past just maintaining surface-level relationship, both with each other and especially with God. And so we want to lean into him today and understand and ask the question, can I trust God? Does he desire to know me as well? And that's what we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. And we'll be in John chapter 10. And just one verse out of John today in verse 14. And then if you're an overachiever and you're using a paper Bible, you can hold your spot in Psalm 23 as well. We'll be spending a little bit of time there also. And uh, as always with the Ridgewood Church app, if you want to dial that in, you just click Media, Sermon Study Guide. Uh, Our series is Learning Jesus right now. And then today's date, and you can track along right where we are in the message. But the big idea out of the scriptures today is that we are known. And within that, God wants, I believe, to speak to each one of our hearts in understanding the relationship that we have with him. And as we go through learning Jesus together, this series on the Gospel of John, we're in the middle of some I am statements. And so you can see that there of where we've kind of gone as we're journeying through, uh, through the scriptures in the Gospel of John. And so today's verse is the fourth saying of the I am statements. And so uh, we see that up on the screen that I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my own and my own know me. And so what I want to do with us today is to take a a look at the Good Shepherd. Last week, Pastor Paul kind of gave us a little bit of an intro. We're going to really camp out on the idea of walking with the Good Shepherd. So we're going to look at that. Then we're going to see how sheep relate to the shepherd in our time together. And then in the last part of it, as we turn to Psalm 23, I just want us to come away with four things of the way that the shepherd is active in our life. And so we start with the idea of the Good Shepherd. Because Jesus doesn't just say, I am the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And so we need to understand that a little more fully. One commentator says on the word good here, in the original language in Greek, the word kalos is used to describe the role of Jesus in the context of him being uh, self-sacrificing or giving of himself, laying down his life. And it implies much more than just the general meaning, the philosophers of the day and how we would use it as well. Sometimes we might say, uh, you know, it's good because it's beautiful or it's useful, but it goes way beyond that in the, in the meaning here. 
The contrast is between Jesus and the employed watchers of the sheep or hired hands that we saw last week in verse 12. Those that take care of the sheep merely for monetary compensation, this word gives us a much deeper picture of that. And it's in comparison to the hired hand, the relationship of the shepherd to the sheep was a personal one. And the shepherd's personal investment in his relationship was the life of the shepherd. It's a self-sacrificing, full-on investment of the shepherd to sheep. And we've seen that in the scriptures in other ways as well, the sacrificial serving of types of leaders that were pointing to Christ. And so you may remember Moses, you know, he laid his life down, gave of himself very sacrificially in the life of the Israelites to lead them where God wanted him to go. Not an easy job as he laid his life down to lead them. And then David as well moved out and as a young man ran forward to face Goliath. And he gave himself sacrificially, put himself on the line in order to protect uh, the Israelite people. But for Jesus, he fully and completely embodies what it means to be a good shepherd. And the I am statement is very true for him. For the shepherd to know the sheep is set in a context of genuine goodness. And so this knowledge uh, goes way beyond just a factual knowledge or a stale or some kind of vanilla familiarity, but it really is true and deep knowledge. The shepherd knows his sheep and he loves them. Earlier in the passage in verse 12, speaking about hired hands, it's referenced there just to give us a contrast that the good shepherd goes way beyond them. And there is a difference. The care and concern of the good shepherd is far deeper than those of hired hands. And a number of years ago, I was a ministry intern at a church within the student ministry. And just like within professional sports teams, when the rookies are there, they're like, hey, rookie, carry our luggage. Hey, rookie, go get us coffee. It was like, hey, intern Neil, you get to lead sixth and seventh grade boys. Fresh experience for me. And they were a spirited bunch, to be sure. And I got to lead their small group and then guide them over a series of years uh, at summer camp as well. And my care for them, I would like to think, was very strong and uh, important in their life. But in the comparison of those boys, the way they were loved by their moms, it didn't hold a candle. I was just a hired hand to them. And a mother's love is a powerful thing. I didn't care about their nutrition that week. Do you want, they said, hey, can we drink five Dr. Peppers? Totally. Can we throw rocks at each other? Yes. Can we drive the church van? No, you can't. My care was decent for them and I cared for them a lot. But my care paled in comparison to the love of mothers. And so moms, we just want to thank you for your love and investment in our lives. If we take that example of parent-child relationship and the type of love that's there, it's still just a temporal one. As powerful as that is, Christ demonstrates his love to us in that it's perfect. So for you and for me, his love is perfect and the goodness of the shepherd is felt uniquely by us in receiving his love. So that's the good shepherd and then we turn to look at, okay, how do sheep then relate to the shepherd? Because the knowing goes both ways. Jesus is saying, I know my own and my own know me. And the word that's used there in the scriptures is an active verb. So it's meant to show action on our part as well. That he knows his sheep, but then we know him as well. And that's an exciting thing for us. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, this is a real, genuine, active relationship that's alive. It's not an isolated religious activity. It's not disconnected or empty in any way. But because of Jesus, we have life and relationship with the Father, and it's an active thing in each one of our lives. We receive that as the sheep. 
Philip Keller is a famous author, and he wrote uh, his most notable book uh, is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. A really powerful little book that's very practical and just all throughout the scriptures, different ways, uh, and, but particularly in Psalm 23 and how the sheep relate to the shepherd and vice versa. And he describes the initial moments when he was to take over an actual flock of sheep, and it was a serious work he discovered. He says, I would have, con- would have to continually lay down my life for the sheep if they were to flourish and prosper. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, he says. As some might suppose, they require more than any other livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. And there's an extreme waywardness within us as sheep. And I love this picture that we have of the sheep there. And I, I feel like I can relate to the waywardness of this sheep. And maybe, come on, some of you are that way as well. Like, you're just a rascal, and this really speaks to your soul, the look on this sheep's face. There's a waywardness to us, and as cute and as funny as that picture is, the scriptures show us that there's a gravity to the fact that we're wayward, and there's ultimately um, an extreme set of consequences And some of you might be familiar with Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the good shepherd is the one that receives our sin, receives our iniquity. And he was the one that sacrificed for us. And in our waywardness, he came as the good shepherd to take our sin upon himself. And you might be at a place where you're saying, you know what, I'm flying high today. I love the path that I'm on. I'm a self-made person. I'm going to go get it. Whatever I need in life, I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to do it in my own strength and in my own way. And I would just caution you and warn you out of the scriptures today that if we go in our own way, that it truly leads to waywardness. And it's a dangerous place for us to be headed. For us to be compared to sheep is a significant thing. Keller, in his book, goes on to say, It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, and our stubbornness and stupidity. We act like sheep oftentimes. And the opportunity for us is to see the good shepherd in our life and allow his activity to take place in us. And so if you have your Bibles now in Psalm 23, I just want to read this passage to us, a familiar one to many of us in the room. And then there's four things that I want to draw your attention to as we go through here this morning. So verse 1 of Psalm 23, just receive this for yourself today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word to us today. And as we go through, as I said, there's four things I just want to promises out of the scriptures here today that I want us to pay attention to. I would encourage you to think through and connect to one of the four. We don't have to explore all four uh, in terms of you praying through that throughout the week, but I really would challenge you to grab a hold of one. Which promise do you need to believe for yourself and pray over yourself throughout the week as we go through? 
So the first thing that we see is that good shepherd pursues us. And in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That God's pursuit of us, that he's coming after us, and it's in the best possible way that he is pursuing us. The goodness and mercy of the Lord is chasing. It's after you. He's following you in your life. And you might be prone to discouragement, and you need to know today and receive freshly in your heart that he's pursuing you and that he's coming after you in a great way. Maybe you have been marred and your self-image has been marked because of things that people have said to you, things that you've experienced that you've had done to you, and you need to receive today from the good shepherd that he's in pursuit of your heart and he's caring for your very soul. We don't have to build a wall up against the good shepherd because he's safe. So many times we do that and we try to self-protect and guard ourselves. And with the good shepherd, we can let our guard completely down. We don't have to build a wall against him. We fully receive that he's tending over our soul. A couple of months ago, as a family, we sat down to watch Disney's uh, National Treasure, the first one. And it's just a... uh, wild, twisting, turning movie of all of these obstacles that are protecting or keeping them from ultimately discovering the treasure. And it's one thing after another, this barrier, that barrier, this obstacle, trying to find the treasure in great pursuit of the treasure. And I just want to say to you today, and I think we can just put this out on the table, Jesus is a far better pursuer of your life than Nicolas Cage. So maybe we can all agree on that, I don't know. Maybe you haven't seen the movie. It's okay. If you've been sitting on the sidelines of your faith because you're waiting for evidence that Jesus has created movement in your life or he loves you or that he's relating to you, let me just say to you that in his pursuit that Christ already proved his love for you and the sacrifice that he did on the cross, that he's proven his love for you, that he's in pursuit of you, he's picked you and he desires you. So that's what we see first is that he's in pursuit of us. The next thing that we see in verse 5 is that the good shepherd protects us. That he's watching over us and he's guarding over us in his protection. It says, you prepare, in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So it's in the presence of our enemies in our greatest challenges that the shepherd protects us. And I don't know what things you're experiencing in your life, what challenges, what storm, what obstacles you're experiencing, but it's good for you to be reminded. Sometimes it's just really helpful for us to hear that he's with us and he's protecting us within the storm. And what's really confounding about this passage is that what we see is that it's in the midst of the struggle. It's in the midst of the challenge. or whatever. It's in the eye of the life tornado storm you might be experiencing. And that is where God shows himself in the sweetest of ways that he comes to commune with us in the midst. He's prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies, right in the middle. And that can be confounding for us at times. But his sweetness can be experienced. And I would encourage you, he wants to meet you where you are in the storm. It says here, anoint my head with oil, and oil was used within uh, their day as a welcoming way of, of bringing guests in. Maybe that's not what you do when people come in your house that you go straight for the oil on the head experience, but it was and would have been received in their time. It was a welcoming in. So right in the middle of all the stuff that we're experiencing, there's a welcoming nature of the good shepherd in our life to draw us close and to be with us. And sometimes we just want to mash down on the eject button of our life circumstances, you know. Let's just get out of here. But it's in these moments that he desires to show himself to us and protect us 
in the midst of the storm. And you just need to hear that today, maybe some of us, that he's with you in the midst of your storm. The third thing we see is that good shepherd corrects us in verse 4. That the good shepherd, uh, he is pursuing us, he protects us, but then he also corrects us. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As I was studying this, the Hebrew word for comfort in the Old Testament and the way it was used here has a guiding or correcting nature to it, which is a little bit different than how we would maybe think about um, that word in particular. But it's a, there's a steering to it um, in the way that that word is used. And in Judah, in the valleys where the shepherds would go and lead their sheep, oftentimes there would be intense shadows and darkness cast over where they were leading their sheep that were the result of the mountains and the hills behind them casting these big shadows. And so the shepherds would have to look extra careful in watching over the sheep in those moments because darkness would come over them. And this would require that the shepherd look very specifically over the sheep, always keeping a watchful eye for the flock in their times of greatest vulnerability. And our world oftentimes struggles with a perception of God that, that he's correcting us. And for some, that's their only view of God, that he's just this cosmic killjoy in the sky waiting to zap us when we blow it. I knew he was going to mess up. That's how we think that he relates to us. For some, that's their only view of how God is. For others, it's completely on the other side where uh, they reject all circumstances in their life if it's not about them being happy, healthy, and wealthy. This couldn't be from God if it's not these three things in my life. But when we look at the scriptures and what we see in this passage and many other places is that in the fullness of a relationship with the good shepherd, we understand that correction can be a very good thing in our life. And you might be like, really? What about safety and protection? But here's the thing, if left to ourselves, we will wander off. In our waywardness, we'll wander off and chase things into the darkness. And sometimes we need correction to bring us back into the path that God has for us. And it's not always easy to receive. Sometimes it's downright painful to receive the correction. But it's for our ultimate good. In the house that I grew up in, my parents have several crepe myrtle trees and uh, they're beautiful in the summertime when they bloom, but every year they have to be pruned back. And the first couple times that they were pruned, the results of the pruning was quite shocking because large portions of the tree were cut off so that the best growth could come forth and occur. And every year that this happened, it looked like all of the life of the tree had come off. If you see the picture up on the screen, it just looks like sticks stuck in the ground after the tops were cut off. And, and that bothered us for a while in, in realizing this had to take place within the trees because you don't really want to stare at that all that often. But it's important for us to understand, and I just would love it if you hear me on this, that the, sometimes the greatest growth in our life occurs after we've been pruned back. And that it's in the pruning that God desires to bring about the best growth, and it makes a way for the best growth to come forth. And so the result of the trees is that they end up looking like this, and they're just beautiful to experience then throughout the rest of the year. But I just wonder if some of us in the room need to hear that today, that God's guiding and correcting hand in your life is brought about because he wants to see brilliance and beauty come, and the growth that he's bringing about is so that you will be beautiful before him. That the staff of the good shepherd that protects us also corrects us, and we have the opportunity today to receive that in our lives as a good thing. He means it that way. 
So the good shepherd pursues and protects. He also corrects. And the last thing we see as we turn towards closing out of the passage here in verses 1 through 3 is the good shepherd restores us. This is really good news for us today. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. The good shepherd is bringing about restoration in our hearts, into our days, into our lives. And it goes against a lot of what we're experiencing within our culture, things that are warring against us. And our enemy understands that if he can pull our hearts in a hundred different ways, that he's going to be successful in keeping us from hearing the shepherd's voice and will be ineffective and unproductive in knowing God in the way that's available to us. But the good shepherd has a different plan. And here's the thing. He's not just doing away with all parts of us. He's not just erasing our wants and he's not throwing out all of our broken pieces because at the end of scripture in Revelation 21, he doesn't say, I'm making all new things. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. And what great hope is that for us today that the good shepherd desires to restore us and that he's fitting us and fashioning us for deeper relationship with himself. If you see the picture on the screen just of the still waters and the place that God wants to take us, just receive that for yourself today. And isn't that just a peaceful thing to consider yourself being right along those still waters in the green pasture there? If you deal a lot with fear and worry, what a great verse to pray. Verse 1 in just saying, I know he's my shepherd and because of that I don't have to want. I may wake up in the middle of the night, I be, may be terrified of the things that are going on. The gears of my mind are turning on a continual basis. But I can roll over and go back to sleep in the confidence that in the shepherd... I shall not want, and he's with me. He's got it taken care of. Perhaps control is your thing, and you find yourself just constantly wound up, tighter than a grandfather clock. You're just, you want to control everything. We just need to allow the Lord to remind us that he wants, he's the one that wants to lead us beside still waters and quiet places with him. We don't have to hold it all together, that he's working on our behalf. Maybe you feel like the cracks or broken places in your life are just overwhelming to your heart and to your life. And you need to never forget that he's the one that's bringing about restoration to you. And in so many ways that you may not be able to see today that God desires to bring restoration to your life. And it's going to be a meaningful thing. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And that we come to him for that. We don't have to pursue all these other things in order to find comfort and restoration. We bring ourselves before him and we come to him. And remember back in our verse in John, in verse 14 of chapter 10 today, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, my own know me, or I know my own and my own know me, that the part of knowing on behalf of the sheep that is such an amazing thing is that they immediately recognize the shepherd's voice. And I was just thinking about that. Why is that true? It's because it's the voice that they hear most often. And they're drawn to the shepherd's voice. Have you tuned your ear to the voice of the good shepherd in your life over every other voice. One author says on verse 14, as we close, the Redeemer's knowledge of us is the active element. It's the penetrating power of the good shepherd in our life to bring about his love. And the believer's part is a passive thing. It's a thing that we receive and we just receive the position and place that he has for us. And we're made to receive from him. If you think about the best part of your couch, the spot you always come and sit in, the sweet spot of your couch. And that's the place 
that the good shepherd wants us to understand that the sweet spot is in his arms and for us as his sheep, we come to him to receive from him. And the last part of verse six, and it's our eternal hope and it's the opportunity that's in front of us is that we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, it says. So having the shepherd lead us beside still waters in this life brings about peace and he chooses to restore us. But then it's our greatest hope for eternity that the best part, the ultimate payoff and reward of heaven is deep relationship with Christ because he's the best thing. We won't want anything else. And for us to long for that now is an awesome opportunity of what God's doing in our life as we receive the work of the good shepherd. So as we close, I just, we're going to put a couple questions up on the screen and just would love for you to consider these. And we're just going to sit quietly for a minute. And so the first one is, which work of the Good Shepherd, as I said at the outset, which one of these four things do you need to hold tightly to for yourself? Just ponder that for a minute. Is it pursuit that he's pursuing you? Is it his protection, his correction, or his restoration? And just ask him to press that into your heart, and I would encourage you again to pray that over yourself this week. And then how would your life look different if you believed this truth? So just consider these things for a minute or two, and then I'll close us in prayer. Just sit quietly. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.